This episode of Hodinkee Radio is brought to you by Accutron and the new DNA Casino Collection. With 100 pieces made in four vibrant colors, the Accutron DNA Casino perfectly fuses futuristic watchmaking and bold design. Stay tuned later in the show for more on the brand's new collection, or visit AccutronWatch.com for all the details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Hodinkee Radio. Today, I've got Malika Crawford and Benjamin Clymer here with me. We're going to be looking at one major celebrity's watch collection, but we're going to use it to zoom out and talk more broadly about trends, tastes, how they change over time, and how they're changing right now. The celebrity is the one and only Sir Elton John. Nearly a thousand pieces of his estate are at auction at Christie's this month, including more than 30 watches. Malika and I went to preview these watches just a couple of weeks ago, and I think we both had a ton of fun. The collection is perfectly Elton, super loud, but also represents a lot of classic watchmaking. It also seems to somehow represent perfectly where watch collecting's at in 2024. I couldn't help but feel as if this collection had appeared, say, five years ago, watch nerds might not have cared as much. So it got me thinking about how trends and tastes change and how they're changing. Of course, our, ben, our own Ben Clymer has been on the front lines observing, and dare I say, even shaping some of these trends over the past 15 years. So he's going to be here to join Malika and I to talk about Elton John's watch collection and everything else. First up, Ben, how are you doing today? I'm good, Tony. How are you doing? Well, not as good as you. I mean, you, you know, I've been following along on, on your Instagram, of course. You were in Aspen yeah. and Paris over the past Less than seven days, really doing Less some doing some great days. traveling for us. It um, it was a it was a busy week. It was a glamorous week, you could say. At least I, I, the goal is to make it feel that way on Instagram. It wasn't that glamorous, but I made it feel glamorous. At least that's, that's what I'm told. Uh, Ben's doing it for the gram. Listen, can you tell us that's about right. the Louis Vuitton watch prize a little bit? So, for those who may have not seen on the site, Raul Pages, the independent watchmaker, mm -hmm. won the first Louis Vuitton watch prize, which I think is going to be awarded every other year. So, can you just tell us a little bit about your experience with? With that watch at the event and whatever else you might want to cut, touch on? Yeah, sure. And I, I think, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll keep this pretty short because I know we have a lot to get through here. But I think what, what LV and Jean Arnaud in particular is, is doing is generally admirable in the sense that, like, they have, you know, the, look, they're the largest company in Europe, the wealthiest family in the world. I mean, the resources times basically infinite. And the fact that the Jean, who is is a true, and I know him, a, a true diehard horology fanatic in, in like the nth degree, and he did talking watches with us. So you can go back and look at his collection and includes some very kind of deep cut 3970s and, and Philippe Dufours and really special things. He really wanted to go out and, and figure out a way to support independent watchmaking in the truest sense. And so what he did was basically, it, it's almost like a scholarship in, in many ways, where you get a grant of around 250,000 euros, maybe 250,000 Swiss, but either way, and you get kind of tutelage by Louis Vuitton for, for the two years that that the that the winner um, uh, is kind of, you know, kind of in effect. And basically you get tutelage by LV's Department of, of Marketing and Heritage and all that, but you also get tutelage under uh, Le Fabrique Touton, uh, who, you know, which includes two amazing, really more than two, but two kind of like leading watchmakers. And so, the, you know, the, the the nominees were, I would say, relatively well known. I mean, you had uh, Simone Brett, who, you know, is almost famous at this point, even though I think he's delivered 12 watches. Um, you had Andrea Streller, who's been around forever, kind of more behind the scenes. You guys might not know him, but he's been behind some, you know, kind of the most fantastic, mostly perpetual calendars of the past uh I don't know, 10 years. He did the Moser Perpetual, if, if you're familiar with that, won a GPHG award. Um, we had P. 
you remember that with an amazing split second chronograph, which was incredible, already sold out. And then we had a, another gentleman who made Mechanical B, which was really neat. Uh, he was definitely a fan favorite because he made Mechanical B in, in the year 2024. Um, but the winner was Raoul Page. And, and you know, the, the awards were held at the Louis Vuitton Foundation in Paris, which is, you know, a very well-known art uh, museum in, in Paris. It was attended by the likes of me, uh, my darling wife, Cara Barrett. We had uh, other luminaries such as Mike Tay, uh, Oro Montanari, or John Goldberger, Recep Recepi. We had SJX. We had Waco. We had uh, Karine from the GPHG. Uh, kind of a who's who of the watchmaking world attended this thing. And not only did all of us watchers attend, but so did a guy by the name of Bernard Arnault, uh, who is, I think, right now, the wealthiest man on earth and certainly one of the most powerful. So, you know, just to be in the presence of somebody like Bernard Arnault for a watchmaker like Raoul Page, who I think, you know, makes less than a handful of watches per year, is remarkable. To then get up on stage and be presented with this you know, highly prestigious award in front of him Photography next to Jean Arnaud and, and the Mike Tays of the world, and then subsequent coverage in Le Figaro and Le Temp and like all these amazing high-profile newspapers and magazines around France and Switzerland is life-changing. And, and I'll say I, I've met Raoul. I've, I've been to his workshop. He's incredible. His watch um, has a detent escapement. He basically created his own detent escapement. You know, th this is not F.B. Jorn. This is not even Philippe Dufour. This is real nerd independent watchmaking in the truest sense he makes everything himself he does it all the old-fashioned way and his his acceptance speech was and i mean this sincerely was was really moving i don't think there was a dry eye in the place you could he he was he was teary-eyed he thanked his wife and said something to the tune of i'll love you more than you'll ever know and i wouldn't be here without you and it was so sincere and this award i think means so much to him it was really quite quite amazing uh and so you know, you can kind of cast any aspersions you want about why LV might be interested in independent watchmaking, but I think it's very clear that the 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 win was was a really meaningful moment for 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 Raoul and and his wife. Ben, two quick follow ups. First of all, Jean yeah. McCall is the mechanical B guy. I don't want his yes. name to get unnoticed. Uh, Apologies for that. And yes. then, <laughs> I'm just giving you crap, of course. Uh, did you get a wrist check on the one of the wealthiest guys in the world, one Bernard Arnault, that you want to share? I did not. Those? I did not that night. I, I have in the past. Uh, so the, look, the thing is, is everyone wants to know if he wears that Tiffany dial 5740 Patek, the one that I think Jean, I think Jean, maybe even Frederick posted on Instagram, which is a one of one unique watch. Uh, it's Tiffany signed, Tiffany blue perpetual, like the like the you know the million dollar uh, 5711. He doesn't wear that watch. Uh, he often wears a Tag Heuer. Um, which is obviously, you know, kind of probably the best well-known of all of the LVMH uh, watch brands. But I did not check what he was wearing that night. Um, but I would imagine it was something pretty good. I would imagine so. And of course, you know, sort of a delayed intro here, but we've got Malika Crawford, who has been running around town all day just to be able to join us. Malika, how are you doing today? I'm still recovering from my B&H photo trip, but I'll be fine. I'm good. How are you, Tony? Oh, we appreciate you joining us and making such a such a gargantuan effort to be able to join <laughs> today's discussion. Uh, I just wanted the audience to know the sacrifices you made. Uh, sure, so, sure. you know, listen, we're not going to do wrist checks. I'm sort of on a crusade to ban wrist checks from from all watch podcasts, but we're going to do our, our, our own fun spin on it, which is something cool on your desk. I'm really excited to see what both of you have. Uh, I'm going to start. Actually, it's over my shoulder here. I'll grab it in a second, but it's this... Uh, Cartier crash advertise not advertisement drawing I should say I'll grab it right now sorry this makes poor audio but this is a guy who you guys may have seen on Instagram before uh bad art nice watch 
Ryan mm. is his name. He does these cool little, well, it's all in the title really, but he sent me a Cartier crash when he first started doing this uh, a couple of cool. years ago. Yeah, just a fun little thing. Uh, I've seen him do all kinds of watches, but bad art, nice watch on Instagram is the follow. Uh, Malaika, something cool on your desk? Well, I'm not at my desk, Tony. <laughs> it can be a wrist check, Malaika. It can be. Okay, just to follow up on your little picture, um, sure. I also had bad art, nice watch make me no well I don't know if he made it for me but he when it was uh when the queen passed I think 2022 he drew me the Patek that she had the ellipse with the diamonds and the pearls which I thought was quite sweet that's quite sentimental to me I was gonna gonna show you my estate of Jacqueline Kennedy Sotheby's um auction catalog because there were three watches in there Two of them are Cartier, one's Piaget. I checked the um, what they went for, and the Piaget actually sold for significantly more than the Cartiers, which I thought was like an interesting little little scoop there. It was like the limelight that she wore, and then these two little Cartiers. They weren't tanks; they were square, like on a mesh bracelet. There was no reference when, or anything. When was the sale? Nineteen ninety six. I see. Yeah, I don't know if Piaget acquired it then but they acquired they acquired it at some point right i think it's in their sort of heritage i think they did too i feel like that watch is an interesting one because i don't think it gets that much love it does not i didn't even know it existed honestly yeah oh really well you do now okay now i do i learned something (laughs) new today Uh, yes well the the one everyone's waiting for ben something cool on or near your desk Oh boy, where where to begin, Tony? Um, this could be the actually, next forty minutes of the show. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a lot of cool stuff on my desk because I'm at in my own office instead of the Houdinki office today. Um, let's see. I've got two things that I can show you. One is here. This is a yellow sweater. Uh, this is, I guess, <laughs> I would call the yellow sweater. This is the yellow sweater that I wore in talking watches with Jean Claude Beaver. Genuinely, this is it. I kept it in a cabinet in the Hodinki office for years, and I moved that basically that cabinet out in the past two weeks to my home office up here, and and here it is. So there's the yellow sweater from Talking Watches with Jean-Claude Beaver. And then with that, I have something that is also yellow. Uh, and this is fitting because there was an announcement by Monaco Legends that John Goldberger is selling the split-second Rolex that he opened with a cheese knife on our Talking Watches. And this is that cheese knife. So this is the John Goldberger cheese knife, uh, the actual one. This is just something I have on my desk. Truly That's pretty cool. Yeah. Talking watches <laughs> lore, truly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any plans well, to I've do anything with either of them? I mean, auction them off for charity. I'm kind of teeing you up here. And I, I don't know if this is, you have any plans for them, but are, are there? The, I mean, look, the, the, the sweater, it, I, don't, I don't think anybody would buy <laughs> oh, it. The, I sweater, buy. No, the cheese knife, someone, <laughs> would, someone would buy the cheese knife. No one's going to yeah, buy the Yeah, look, sweater. The, 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 the sweater I might start wearing again. Honestly, I was saying to you before when I discovered that it was here, I might just like bring it back into the rotation. Uh, but the cheese knife, look, I think at some point we'll probably do some sort of charity auction, but we're not we're not there yet. Um but here it is. And it's always like, it's funny, like this has kind of floated around the Houdinki office since that video. Um, and here it is in a, in a watch box. So this is fun to have here. As I said, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to look back at, at trends and how they change and and all of these types of things. And Ben, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on because, you know, back in 2022, we did this little Slack auction preview before the December auctions, I want to say. And you told us this little story about... Uh, one of the first sort of 
watch intros or previews you did. It was for the JLC, the Reverso Gyro Torbion back in like sure 2008. And you said something yeah. to the effect of complications were everything in 2008. Sincerely, Correct. vintage steel, et cetera, was for dorks like me. So I'm wondering if you can yes. just take us in the way back machine and tell us what the luxury watch world looked like in 2008. It was sad, man. It was dark times back then. It, it, it really was. Uh, first of all, I remember going to that event so clearly because somebody invited me. Uh, and I, they were like, bring a friend. So I brought my friend Jeff, who you know is still my friend, but has nothing to do with Odinki. And, he's, and we were like, what do we wear? And we were like, I think we should wear suits and ties. Because it, it was at a townhouse on the Upper East Side. And so we both wore suits and ties. Mine from Joseph A. Banks, legitimately. Uh, and we went there and we were just like, what is this? And it was like this, you know, like probably $20 million plus townhouse on the Upper East Side, right off the fifth and champagne everywhere, beautiful people and blah, blah, blah. And they had rooms where they would show us the complications within the gyro turbion. And it was so opulent. And I mean, like opulent with a capital O in a way that frankly, nothing compares to today. And things have like toned way down since then in, in the entire, in the entire watch industry. And back then, like brand complications were what brands touted the most. You know, like I think like Piaget's biggest launch is probably the Polo, right? The one that came out last week for, for like 73,000 bucks. Like that's their big narrative for this year. Piaget back then would be about a probably an ultra slim minute repeat of perpetual calendar. You know, JLC, instead of talking about reversos, they would talk about the Gyro Turbion, Gyro Turbion 8, but whatever. And we're talking about like, hey, they would do like, you know, with the Gyro Turbion would come like a four foot high trunk where you could see like every facet of the watch being made and you could see like several different loop, uh, you know, um, options, et cetera. It was so overtly um, opulent and just not catering towards, I think, people like us and by us, I mean, all three of us here. Um, it was really, you know, to be, to be frank, it, it wasn't really catering in the U.S. towards domestic buyers. It was catering towards foreign buyers. And back, back then, Chinese buyers were, were a huge, huge force in, in the American watch buying world. And back then, they wouldn't, care where i mean now if you're if you walk into a wempy or tiffany or any Patek store and you are not a domestic citizen or you do not have a domestic address you cannot as far as i know buy a watch from 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 those retailers back then they would take what they can get they would sell anything to anyone at any price like if you wanted a gyro turbine you could get a 35 percent on the dollar like they would say just fucking take it you know um it was a really different world and i think that if I may say, is why Hodinkee worked is because there was this whole gang of people that like this just didn't connect with at all. And I was one of them. And I was just like, look, like going to a fancy party with champagne is really fun because I'd never done it before. And I had a great time at that party and the watch is really neat. But like I couldn't come close to affording it back then. I still could now. But like that watch just didn't appeal to me, even if I could afford it. Like I wanted to talk about reversos. I wanted to talk about the old master uh, control chronographs. I wanted to talk about the Polaris and the, the deep seal arms. If we're talking about Jaeger. And those just didn't have a place in the world. And, and if they did, they weren't on the forefront of anything. So you might remember that the, the Jaeger JLC did a Polaris around that time, and it went nowhere. And the, those watches, the steel watch and the, and the platinum watch, the only person that I know that bought one of those watches new is John Mayer, because he was doing it back then. But they sat at retail for years. And I mean, like, for years. To the tune of, like, when Jaeger reopened their boutique, I think in 2013, I went to it, they still had a platinum and a steel one, Polaris, for sale in the boutique. We're talking five plus years after that watch came out. Like now, that's, that would be just unheard of. They, they wouldn't last five hours today, five days today. Um, so you're just talking about a really different world of what luxury watches and high-end watches was. There were, there were not Instagrammers, there were not TikTokers, there were not really many platforms like Hodinkee. Um, you know, there was the time zone guys, there were the purist guys, there was Ariel over at a blog to watch. Um, you know, there was Fratello in the Netherlands. But, you know, it, like... 
we all had our own little thing and we were all representing kind of different uh, kind of mindsets and, and Houdinkis was definitely kind of the most generalist and I, I hope the friendliest. Um, but yeah, really different times and vintage wasn't a thing at all. I mean, Patek was, but again, it was like the Nautilus was the cheapest watch in the catalog and you can get it at, at, at discount. I have, I have friends that used to work at, at Tiffany, I'm sorry, at Patek. And her husband wanted a watch, and the only watch that her her boss, the president, would allow her to buy for her for her husband was a fifty seven eleven in steel, truly. And he still wears the watch. Um, you know, it's just it was just a different time, and you know, I wouldn't say a simpler time. Things are way better now, to be clear, way bigger now. Um, but it is it is fun to kind of think back of what watches were so long ago. Can we talk about the size of that gyro, Torbjorn? Yes, probably forty six <laughs> millimeters. Forty. I mean, minimum yeah. forty four. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Probably 46. That's was... why I brought it up in that Slack chat because I thought yeah. it was one of the scariest things I'd ever seen. <laughs> it, it just, it, it's, it just was. I mean, if you look at, I mean, even like, even Patek to agree, but like, you know, Langa, Patek, AP, JLC, like we're talking like basically the four best, four of the best brands uh, in the world. Uh, Tony's telling me to move my mic back a touch. Sorry, guys. I just, I'm just so excited to get, you know, to get up in here with you. Um, <laughs> That's just what people wanted. Like it was about, like it was really about showing off. Honestly, like that's what watchmaking was. It was not cool at all. It was, in fact, like kind of the opposite of cool. Uh, and I was just like, wow, this kind of sucks. But like, I like, I like the watches so much. So like, I'm gonna hang around and keep writing about it. Can you point to maybe it was just a gradual thing, and there's no answer to this? But can you point to any specific inflection point? I've got a few sort of. I'll make this multiple choice for you in a, in a sure. way because I've heard a few few ideas over the years. I remember when okay. I did a I did a collector's guide on the 5711 when that went out of production, whatever that was a year or two ago. And yeah. Reardon pointed to John Reardon of Collectability pointed to 2013-2014 as around the time when secondary market prices on the Nautilus specifically started to um exceed that those of the the retail prices. Um mm -hmm. and then beyond that, obviously everyone points to the the Paul Newman sale in 2017 as a major inflection point and then yeah. obviously COVID is kind of the the latest one. But I'm wondering from from your chair Ben if if, if any of those ring true to you the 2013 i wouldn't necessarily agree with and and the reason i say that is i bought a 5711 tiffany signed at tiffany for for, for below retail in 2015 so you know it, it it was probably a little bit later than that like i i, I can only speak from my experience and the, the turning point that i've heard of countless times and and i am seldom this self-serving is the the first episode of Talking Watches with John Mayer? That was a, that was I think a, a big turning point. But I, I think there are many, and I think you know I think John is definitely right in that the the Paul Newman sale put watches on the tips of everybody's tongues in the financial world because you know back then you were looking at art, you know contemporary art, uh, design, wine, classic cars, whatever as as like the investment grade alternative assets, and then all of a sudden you had a steel Rolex sell for eighteen million dollars. That was pretty crazy. Before that, predating that, the the Henry Graves super complication selling for for crazy money was also kind of a, a turning point. Yeah, I think that was in twenty the second time it sold in in twenty fourteen. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm curious. You you brought up the the John Mayer um, video, which I'm sure others would point to as well. That brought a ton of people, you know, myself included, like into the hobby in a new way. There were a lot of steel watches in that in that episode, right? There were yeah. there was a steel Daytonas, uh, the GMT. There was a Batman, which was like new at the time, uh, which yeah. is crazy to think of now. But you know, one of the quotes that's most taken or most quoted from that video is, uh, you know, the fifty nine seventy and the thirty nine seventy from Paddock, as good as it may ever get. And it's interesting to me because that was like 
I want to say the undercurrent trend at the time, you know, the steel watches started to grab the headlines, but there's this undercurrent of, of vintage or of complicated watches. And I'm wondering, um, if that's something you felt as well, because by the time you get to the second one, the second talking watches, we're talking about precious metals and gem set mm -hmm. things and all of that, those types of things as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing actually by, by pure coincidence, I'm wearing the watch I wore in that talking watches, which is my 3940 today. Um, but what, what's interesting is steel back then was holy grail material for, for complicated watches. So, I mean, like when, when, when we did our Vacheron, the, the corn de Vache, like you have no idea how hard I pushed to get that watch made in steel. They just didn't do it. Hatech certainly didn't do it. So the idea of steel uh, for complicated watches was the signifier. If, if you thought steel was cool, that means you were part of the gang. And by gang, I mean like my gang, like the Houdinki gang, like the nerd gang, you know? Otherwise, if you thought gold was cool, you're like, oh, like so tacky. Like, why would you want a gold watch? Now I only wear gold watches for the record. Um, but back then it was like steel was what, like steel was the flex. Um, and I think that has changed markedly. I mean, like, I, I think, you know, okay, like steel watches are still very hot, but you know, the, the things that you see on Instagram, the things that you see on, on TikTok are, are really more like gem set precious metal things because those watches ended up being so cheap as our little world started to take off as, as like the vintage watch world and like the Houdinki world started to take off. People just completely overlooked the gem set, uh, precious metal watches. Malika, I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, I think we came into the watch world full time around the same time a few years ago, and you came from a fashion background before that. So we're more observing it from a, from a different mindset. And I'm wondering what, what trends you were observing sort of, uh, throughout the time period that Ben and I have just been talking about. And if you noticed any sort of like change up in what was cool, what was popular, what was fashionable, what people were talking about. I like to look at this as the there's sort of two sides to this there's the enthusiast community and then there's everybody else <laughs> and they really have nothing to do with each other but i am starting to see a lot of well on my instagram feed i don't know how yours looks but there are people kind of on the fringe on the fringes like in fashion in art in design who are definitely paying more attention to watches and they'll be reacting to things that are as you said gem set or maybe like different shaped cartiers or piaget's smaller watches notably they're sort of not really interested in the quote unquote like watchy watches it's definitely coming at things from a almost like jewelry perspective and that goes for men women whatever um i did think it was really interesting last night there was this it's new york fashion week and there was a fashion show last night um for this brand called loire and I, I mean, I've seen a lot of kind of, we saw Taylor Swift wearing a watch. I'm, I won't say anything bad about Taylor Swift because I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know I'm going to be absolutely, yeah, going to keep the lip, lip sealed. Um, but we've seen Taylor, we've seen Rhee. And then last night at this very like sort of in, in the deep cut of the fashion world, this brand Loire had looks walking out with, watches like sort of worn as livery collars like they were sort of attached to each other and I was like hang on does this mean that watches are cool or does this mean that we're going to get so past the watch thing being in the zeitgeist that it's going to be like deeply uncool and that we'll just sort of go back to where we started so I feel like watches are almost like they're just becoming really mainstream in that way. But I do think the trend, 
the trends, I mean, we see it on TikTok, we see it on Instagram. People just want Cartier and Piaget and this, you know, Tony, you're like Mr. Polo now. Um, I, I just feel like we've moved away from this, you know, Royal, well, people still love Royal Oaks, people still love Nautilus, but I feel like we're moving away from that slightly. Oh man, thank you for that. Uh, you know, everyone thinks I have some sort of deep fascination with the polo, uh, and you know, really, I don't. It's not even like it's it's far from my favorite Piaget. I love their stone dials and some of this other stuff. The polo is is not my vibe. Uh, for for those who don't know me, you've uh, made totally. yourself Mr. Polo. Sorry. Yeah, I, I would say you're definitely Mr. Polo. Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, I could have bought you know a dozen polos in the past, let's say, month or so if I wanted to. So um, I for, totally for missed much? the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, a lot more now i'll tell you that much yeah, exactly. um but you know it's kind of concerning in a way when everyone's off everyone left and right is offering you a polo it's like well i don't i don't think i need one of these um <laughs> but listen i'm i'm sorry to anyone who feels personally attacked by the the two piaget articles i've written in the past year um but it's a great it's a great brand that's been sort of overlooked over the past few it years. is there, there was a guy that used to work for us named louis westphalen who actually uh, then went to work for George at, at Breitling and, and now works for, for Jean at, at uh, Daniel Roth and, and Gerald Genta. He was so interested in Piaget. I'm talking 2014, 15, but early, like predates that. Like that's when he worked for us. He would have, he used to write Bring a Loop for us uh, at, from time to time and helped us launch vintage watches back in the day. He cared so much about vintage Piaget so early. That guy deserves some cred in the, in the global Piaget world because that guy was really early to you know, there's a lot of people out here claiming to be the Piaget guy. <laughs> so I don't let's know. just let's so just like, give it I, to, like, to I, our friend Louis. <laughs> I can tell you who it's not. You know who it's not, everybody? Phil Toledano. It's not <laughs> Phil Toledano. I can promise you that. Just an absolute stray throw. Um, no, you know, Louis and I have have talked about a number of brands over the years. Piaget is one. Uh, Chopard is another who he was quite early on. There's a couple of articles he he wrote in the 2015-16 era that that I referenced when I I did articles in the past couple of years on on Chopard and some other stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, he's got quite sophisticated uh, French Parisian tastes, I suppose. So Indeed, can't knock him for that. Can I just ask you, Tony? Sure. Because I'm really I'm dying to know. Do you think that people are sort of becoming more and more interested in these types of watches that in, in within the enthusiast community is this just sort of like contrarian politics uh well listen don't don't bring your politics into my watches but sure i mean ben <laughs> kind of mentioned the com i guess the commercial side of it even like y you look around one day and you realize you probably don't need to be spending thirty thousand dollars or whatever it is for a four-digit submariner and you say well, I could buy a Cartier Crash for the same price, which is, you know, how much they cost in 2018 when it's a, a sort of legitimate Cartier icon. And then it takes five years, six years, however long it's been, but the the sort of pricing reality flips almost. And now um, it costs almost $20,000 to buy a vintage tank normal. Uh, and I think at some point people will look up and say, wait, like I should be buying a four-digit sub for this amount of money uh, or a, a four-digit GMT master or whatever it is. So I think there is a... Uh, uh, just like a commercial reality to to what people can afford with their budget and looking around at sort of what's legitimately value at, at whatever price they have. But yeah, some of it's contrarian and people, I mean, fashion in general and style in general is always the push and the pull between um, wanting to fit in, but also wanting to stand out. And yeah. these things go back and forth, right? And I think we're kind of, we, we've swung all the way on one side of the pendulum almost where we're talking about 
small watches, every sort of, I'm writing our, our article about trends that will happen in 2024 or something like that. And every single article I've read about watch trends in 2024 from even mainstream publications, GQ and Rob Report and all these types of things have mentioned small watches, uh, even menswear publications, right? So we've we've swung so far in that direction that it's, it's yeah, bound I mean, to swing back the other direction. Time is but a, a flat circle, right? I mean, like if, yeah. if you go back, do you remember when Mad Men was really big? Like what year was that? Anybody know? Uh, yeah, it, it was a while ago. Yeah. Right. And when Mad Men was big, I would say small watches are big because of Mad Men, blah, blah, blah. Like Omega Seamaster 120s and Reversos, which Don Draper wore. Like the, the, like nothing is is new here. You know, I mean, th those, I mean, we're talking about like kind of more vintage dress watches back then as opposed to like 90s and, and contemporary dress watches. Um, but I mean, it, it is so funny how people kind of think they're they're discovering stuff. And in, in some ways there are people discovering stuff for sure. But, you know, they're like all like, a skeleton AP from the 60s, I'm going to pick on my friend Phil a little bit more, you know, these watches are well known to be exceptionally high quality watches. And like, they were more expensive than many complicated watches in, in, in period. So, you know, him coming in and saying, or somebody coming in and saying like, hey, these represent amazing value. Like, sure, they do. But like, that, that's been kind of well, well known for, for such a long time. Uh, and maybe this is just kind of like bitter old man, like you know, kind of yelling from the porch. Malika saying, yeah. Is it? Do I sound no, better? No, right no, now? no, you don't at all. I'm just taking it in and absorbing it before I come back at you with my opinions. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, it's just like I've seen so much of this for so long. And I've seen so many people like try to make something a thing. I've seen people do it successfully. I've seen people do it earnestly and, and, and the antithesis of that. Um, and it's just like, it just is. It, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when, when we bought Crown and Caliber and we, we, I did a, one of these episodes about why we were getting into pre-owned, my, my, my thinking wasn't like, hey, we're not trying to make pre-owned, like pre-owned just is. And like, we need to participate in it because we are part of this market. And I think same is true for what's happening now. And I think like, we're not trying to make anything, uh, we're covering obviously with you guys here, what is happening in this world, but it like the, the market is is enormous and it will continue to shift from, from now until forever. Uh, and that's okay. But I don't think anything new is, is happening now with the exception Malika of like the mainstream em embracing of of what like Taylor Swift wearing a watch around her neck a choker at the Grammys is crazy and Rihanna doing it that, before obviously yeah that that's yes let's not forget that she came first <laughs> um I <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at right when I say the enthusiast thing is so separate from the rest of it because no, no. it's all this like um it's like cool you did it first or whatever um like i just don't think anybody did it first i think it just goes yeah, back and forth I agree. um and it's interesting tony that you you talk about it from a commercial sort of or or just like a a financial reality like i never think about it like that <laughs> i never think about the fact that people are looking for good value <laughs> i just think about what people want to wear and like what they think is cool in the moment um but i feel that the fact that it's sort of reaching, you know, such a big audience now, like just watches in general. I think that's a different kind of conversation for sure. Yeah, I think that's right. And that, does that, the mainstreamification, if you will, of watches, do you think that goes back to almost the the inflection point of the pandemic when things became yeah. so big? I or mean, is that I'm here, I'm here because of the pandemic, like... <laughs> 
let's just I mean I was sat there during the pandemic I always liked watches but I wasn't like doing deep dives on Ben Clymer's articles on hodinky.com until the pandemic so I mean it, it's just you know it's it's not just watches right I mean it was all collectibles right I mean the the the, the, the trend in collectibles really took off during COVID we've seen some you know some de- de- I wouldn't say depression of that but some you know recession not in the literal sense but it has receded to some degree uh, but we picked up a few good folks, including Miss Malika Crawford, uh, you know, during during the the, the COVID uh, era, and I think that there are so many people that um, are kind of like foretelling the the death of the luxury watch world, which is not like we are so much bigger. Having been here for now sixteen years, like we are so much bigger than even where we were five years ago. It's not even cl- I mean, it's not even funny. So yes, we're coming off the highs, but you can't perpetually live on the highs. Like if you if you have a publicly traded company, you're not always continually going up, right? Like you go up, you come down, you go up, you come down. It, it's it's life. Um, so I think ultimately, like COVID was an amazing thing for the watch world and all collectibles. Um, and in terms of where we are now, in terms of what's interesting, like. It is fun to see these young guys and gals get into dress watches. To you know, the, the steel Rolex thing was was overdone, and I think also there was a lot of there's a lot of really bad actors in vintage Rolex, no question about it. And I think what what is nice for me with this new era of of younger kind of influencer in the space is like you get a lot less of um, swapping parts, which was which was everything in vintage. I mean, you know, ten years ago, bezels, dials, cases, whatever with Rolex, like it did not matter. It was just a free for all. And a lot of people got hurt. And it, you know, it, I, I'm not, I'm not super religious about like, you know, it's something has to be born with so and so. But a lot of people got hurt uh, in, in in that era. And you know, we don't talk about it often, but it did happen. And I think with with this stuff with Cartier and Piaget, you're not going to get a lot of that. Yeah, I think what's happened is a lot of the speculation has been flushed out of the system over the past, let's say, whatever it's been, 18 months now. And a lot of that Mm -hmm. speculation had glommed on to specifically the modern integrated steel sports hype watches that we always talked about. But there's still genuine interest in every segment of the market. I think the the thing is that's a genuine interest has just broadened a lot. It's it's in all of those steel sports watches, but all of these other things we've been talking about as well, which is um a net positive as far as I'm concerned. It, it is. And I, I also just want to be totally clear here. Like go to a Patek store or a Rolex store and ask for a Daytona or ask for a Nautilus and see what they say. Like the hype has not died down in retail at all. It's still impossible to get that stuff. And so I think like, you know, we're like what when when Bloomberg or less to a lesser degree Bloomberg, but like occasionally them, Wall Street Journal, when they say like the vintage watch or the secondary market prices are crashing, like that that's not that's like the market isn't crashing. It's just, it's just coming down a little bit. We're still several times retail if we're talking about like the big five watches. Uh, and it is still next to impossible to get this stuff at, at retail. Yeah. On the same token, if you, I think you can ask most of these good vintage dealers if they can keep a, a solid 1675 GMT master in stock. Like they, like good ones, they can't. Good ones with strong cases and dials and all these types of things. Uh, they still sell relatively quickly. I think it's just people are looking for reasons not to buy a watch now because of everything that's happened. And yeah. if the case is a little polished, if the loom doesn't quite match or it's discolored or whatever, if yeah. the dial's got a little too much patina, uh, it, it, people are much quicker to say no than they would have been when they feel like they were, were chasing uh, chasing prices Agreed. a year and a half ago. Agreed. We're excited that Hodinki Radio is back. And our return is thanks in part to this week's sponsor, Accutron, and its new DNA Casino Collection. Driven by the world's first electrostatic energy movement, the new Accutron DNA Casino Collection fuses vibrant colors with futuristic design. The four bold new colors, each limited to 100 pieces, 
are inspired by the bright lights of Las Vegas. The DNA is an update of Accutron's original icon, the Space View, the watch known for its revolutionary tuning fork movement. The DNA updates the Accutron Space View for the modern era with a 45mm stainless steel case and integrated rubber strap. Since introducing the world's first fully electronic watch in 1960, Accutron has continued to push the boundaries of timekeeping. The Accutron DNA Casino Collection synthesizes bold colors, innovative technology, and a retro-futuristic design to make a bold statement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece, it's a conversation piece. Check out the new DNA Casino Collection on AccutronWatch.com or the new Citizen Flagship Store in New York. A big thanks to Accutron for its support, and now, back to the show. Well, listen, part of the reason that I wanted to talk about this was it's always this sort of nebulous conversation, but we had something to actually attach it to. Uh, and that's Elton John's collection that Malika and mm. I saw a couple of weeks ago. And as I mentioned, it kind of just captured the vibe of 2024 in a, in a real way. There's there's Cartier crashes, there's unique Piaget's, all kinds of other things that are gem set from JLC, from Longa, stuff you wouldn't even expect, which is kind of cool. He was a big fan of Chopard as well, might I add. Uh, Malika and I went and saw the sale uh, preview. It's going to be at Christie's at the end of the at the end of the month. Basically, there's an entire series of sales it's part of more than 900 lots from his estate that are going to be going to auction he was also just a major photography collector uh jewelry all kinds of other things as you might imagine it's all happening at christie's there's an exhibit through february 21st before the sales so if you happen to be in new york go check it out i'd recommend it but malika i think we had a lot of fun at the auction preview because it was just the vibe was very different from this self-seriousness of Paddock 1518s and Rolex Daytonas and all of these things that that we yeah. usually see. It was definitely a lot more fun. You know, not that sort of complicated watches aren't fun, but this felt lighthearted. And it really, Tony, I think the fact that we were so interested in these very sort of wild looking, dare I say, some of them quite garish looking watches just points to the fact that, you know, that's where the taste is at the moment like let's just really think about what we were looking at there for a second maybe want to talk about some of the things we saw I was gonna ask I mean let's talk about it give me one or two favorites favorites I'm gonna say the tank normal yeah so there's one tank normal specifically we'll throw it up on the YouTube if you're listening yeah there was a tank missing from the we didn't get to see it right yeah yeah, yeah, so there's okay. another tank we didn't get to see that was like, it's kind of this rectangular thing from Cartier London with with rubies in the bezel or something. Also super cool from the looks yeah. of it, at least. So a lot of gems set. There was that really cool Vacheron, I think it's called Jalousie, that you posted on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, the shutter watch, which is kind the of like... The shutter watch. Yeah. Um, There was that crazy Piaget that's like fake Tutti Frutti. There were some watches that I don't know if either of us would be seen wearing them but uh they were sort of interesting to throw into the mix like those hublots the crazy animal show part i mean it was just really eccentric it was like it was definitely elton's watch collection very clearly elton's taste and and his yeah. Miller vision alone also a lot of frank Mueller's, might i mention he was apparently a big fan of frank Mueller in the 90s for the way that yeah he's kind of just i mean let, let's talk about can i just double click on that for one second frank oh, Mueller in the please. 90s I mean, so look, this this predates me in the Houdinki era, but like I was a teen in the 90s. Frank Mueller was the biggest deal on earth. He, he was Richard Mule before Richard Mule. And I think like that is something that like Elton John, obviously in the 90s was obviously a man of means and hyper famous. So it makes perfect sense that he had a lot of Frank Mueller's back then. 
Yeah, there's I've this famous I've seen a story. lot of, yeah, sorry, uh, Tony, go on. Uh, no, there's this famous story. I think Nick Folks writes about it that, uh, you know, I think it's at an Elton John birthday party. He sits, he sits everyone down. There's a covered dish there. Everyone thinks it's going to be the appetizer of the meal, but he's actually gifting them a Frank Mueller and the the servers kind of choreograph and pull over the, pull it up to, to be revealed all at the same time. I don't know how many there were, but the guy was wild for Frank Mueller. And honestly, I, I love Frank Mueller's as well. Uh, uh, you know, the master of complications is also the master of my heart and I could talk about it all day. So I thank you so <laughs> well, much for double well clicking on it. Um, but I just, just to, just a triple click on that. So like I like right master of complications right so like late nineties early two thousands like complicated watches when I say he was Richard Mule before Richard like he was like the watchmaker himself and Richard's not a watchmaker but he's the, the guy behind the brand people connected with the Frank Mueller brand because Frank Mueller himself was there to interact uh, and really be a part of it so he was prob- I don't know but he was probably at that dinner party with Elton John. And he's a super fun, engaging, dynamic guy. And that, you know, like you, like this is luxury. And so like if you want to support somebody that that gives you joy, and Frank Mueller was that guy in the 90s. Yeah, and there's a uh, a Frank Mueller perpetual calendar chronograph in this collection that's like kind of cool. It's tarnished on half of the case. And it's mm. kind of cool to, I think he probably actually wore it a lot, which which makes sense given all of everything we've been saying, but it's a very Elton John thing. But It was you know, definitely listen. the most tasteful of the bunch there. That's sort of the irony here. Well, the other one I liked was the early Longa Saxonia big dude date. with the with the that's with the diamond hot. bezel. Yeah, yeah, that's like a yes. legitimately rare watch. I don't know if there's even another one out there, but it's uh, it's so dude. sick and it's thirty five. I, I so I've I've like spent a little bit of time researching that because I had the same thought. Like, does another one of these exist? And you, you may have seen we covered it. Luke Combs wore a diamond bezel Longa to the Grammys this year, the same Grammys that that where Taylor wore her choker and baguette bezel Longas. That's the story I want Tony Trainer to write because that's the story that I want to read because I have really gone down a rabbit hole of baguette bezel longest in particular data graphs, but there there's uh there are world timers there's the Saxonia there's there's a few of them out there um, and I want to know how many were made were first generations made uh, you know now you there are there's a rose gold and a platinum data graph up down on Corona twenty four both with baguette set bezels right now and like a diamond set bezel. Longa is just like what it's just such a neat thing and like appeals purely to me in the era that i'm in right now like i'm gonna love long until the day that i die just as like a watch guy but as i said like i'm kind of bored with just stainless steel stuff and like i want some some bling i want some diamonds i want some stones on my stuff so I, i'm like, particularly interested in that watch yeah, yeah likewise. i think i let out we let a little i let out an audible like <gasps> when i saw <laughs> It's, it's almost like um you know there's that photo came out of of michael jordan wearing the the, the platinum data. data graph on the bracelet in like the late yeah. 90s it's almost that level of sort of weird like quirkiness to me like elton john was out here buying a baguette set saxonia date and i think this is from 2000 or something it's yep. totally wild and unexpected and shows how the guy the, 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 the other thing that i wanted. yeah the other thing that i find like incredibly attractive about this watch i'm actually looking at it right now is if you click into the picture the, the the rear photo shows a watch strap from Grand Central Watch, which is like a, a, somebody I've known since the earliest days of watches. And like that is like such a New York thing to have like a watch with a strap from from Central Watch. And I, I really, really find that very charming. Oh, so is that your favorite from the set? I know you didn't get to see it in person, Ben, but just sort of scrolling through Christie's website. Is that your favorite? I mean, look, it's if you're talking about like a thing that I would actually spend my own money on, 1,000%, not even close. Um, but there's a lot like, look, I think the Leopard Daytona feels very Elton John. Uh, th- that crazy Tank Normal is 
crazy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things just as like objects, uh, but that that longer would be one that that I would look at myself. What are you going with, Tony? I think the Cartier Tank Normal is is enticing for a number of reasons. One of which I will I will not be able to afford it, so not that any of this matters. But you know, Car even Cartier itself wasn't really making Normals in the 2000s. Like you don't see them in the CPC collection or any of these types of things. So it's kind of weird that this was even requested or made by buyer for Elton or whoever requested it. We saw another one was posted. I think, uh, you know, the mysterious Johnson dealer on Instagram that some people might be familiar with posted one a few months ago, which I, I've confirmed is actually a different watch, but it seems as though there was at least one other one, but it actually wears quite sort of, uh, I don't want to say, um, understated, but like for what it is, you know, I think 20 baguette diamonds and then, you know, a dozen blue sapphires or whatever. It's not this totally outlandish thing. And I feel as though I could wear it if the setting were correct. You oh, should wow. get it. Yeah. I, I almost think it's because the dial is the sapphire and, and that sort of like the, the navy blue of the bracelet and the sapphire, like it just looks like one continuous thing. I think if you had the reverse, it would be way louder. Like I if you had the diamonds on the dial. Yeah. I think it's very clever. Yeah. Agreed. So for those who didn't catch the first episode, what we're doing is, you know, just DM me or reach out with a question, basically a collecting advice question. Uh, I'm looking to buy this or that, sort of give us the parameters and, you know, you might get your question read on the show and and even get some collecting advice from one Ben Clymer and Malika Crawford, which would be really exciting for you. So today we've got a individual, uh, I'll leave the name out, I'll leave the name out, but this person says, this guy says, I'm 38 and have been collecting watches since I was about 30. My interest started in vintage sports watches, Tudor, Rolex, Universal, Genève, and that's where my focus has remained as a collector. By now, I've owned a lot of the models I wanted to, and perhaps owing to my advancing age, I find myself more attracted to gold and dress watches. Having sold a couple watches, I have a little bit of money, say $15,000, and I'd love to buy a dress watch that's totally different from anything in my collection. I'm not opposed to modern, but it seems like there's great value to be had in the neo-vintage era as well. So curious about exploring that segment of collecting. So I chose this one because I knew it was going to be fitting to our previous conversation a little bit. Um, I guess I'll give just like overarching thoughts and then maybe Ben can start it off with, with some collecting advice. But I'd sort of, listen, I don't want to challenge the premise of buying another watch because I'm always, I'm always for enabling. But if it truly is your first vintage watch or first dress watch, I should say, if you really need to spend $15,000, um, it, it takes some time to figure out how these things fit. There's a lot of variety in the dress watch world. Like, do you want a Calatrava? Do you want a tank? Do you want a complicated brigade from the 90s? Uh, do you want a modern longa? Whatever it is, there's like so much variety. And it's not totally clear to me that this person actually knows what they want besides uh, seeing more dress watches being posted and talked about in the community over the past year or two so i would sort of mm -hmm. challenge uh the premise of the question a little bit but that said that said i'm always for enabling so i do have some thoughts uh but ben why don't you come in first with some collecting advice yeah look i mean if this is like i'm, I'm hesitant to even say what i'm about to say because it's like so boring um it's sincere but it's boring and that would be look at longa <laughs> you know look, look at like this a saxonia thin used or I'm really I'm really into the first generation Little Longa One, in particular in yellow gold, which are actually quite rare and and certainly more than fifteen thousand dollars. You're probably going to have to double that to be honest uh, to get a good one. But really special watches like this Elton John Saxonia with the diamond bezel 
Wanga did some weird, weird stuff in the in the late '90s, early 2000s. They were not a successful company. They were a very small company, um, and so they tried things. And you know, they would take movements that they couldn't sell in the in the catalog stuff and put them into special pieces, hoping that they would sell. And so you get some really pretty strange things, such as Elton John's watch. So I would look at early 2000s, late 90s Longa Saxonias uh, in particular, and you can get you can get some Saxonias in the fifteen thousand dollar range, and. If you go back to a three-on-three three that I did many, many years ago with, I think, Stephen and Paul Boutros, we did Vacheron, uh, Langa, and F.P. Jorn together. And we all agreed back then that like all these watches are great, but with Langa, you get the same quality and finishing at, with their entry-level watches that you do with their high-end watches, like with, the, with their comps, and that cannot be said for pretty much any other brand. So there's, there's a lot to love from, from early Langa dress watches. Malika, any uh, additional thoughts from you? You know, I was thinking, what is out there that is new and modern, like as opposed to going down the neo vintage? Because I like to, I like to think about the sort of new releases and see if there's anything that I would actually ever spend my money on. Um, and if we're talking dress watches, Cartier, the Santos Dumont with the enamel. I think is actually pretty cool. Like there's the black enamel, the kind of creamy enamel with the rose gold. I think that's kind of like weird and fun, but it's still like chic and discreet enough. Uh, what else would I do? I think I would, I kind of agree with you. I feel like 15 grand seems like you don't need to do that. Maybe you, you do need to do that. Or maybe you could go with... I don't know. Do we feel like wearing a tank? This is going to be, I don't know. This might be a controversial thing to say. You're going to upset a lot of people right now. Should I just keep my mouth <laughs> shut? No, just say it. No, <laughs> please don't. I was having this conversation with another coworker, and we were like, is a tank kind of pedestrian? I, 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 my, my two cents, and I said this, I said this at the LV event uh, the other week on camera, the crash is pedestrian. The crash, oh. the crash is done. That that watch Malika, is totally your take was not hot enough. Oh my gosh, ben. the crash wow, is, is the hottest one that. to the end. The crash is so done; it's not even funny. <laughs> it it really, I mean, it's just it just is. You had it hit fast. Oh, it's just man. done. Ben Clark like, just killed the crash. Sorry, everyone. unless you're if look the the exception would be, uh, 1967 crashes. Those watches will be perennially cool. The watches from the 90s, no. The NSO stuff, no. The London thing is cool. If you can get a platinum or yellow gold one directly from the Bond Street Boutique, I'm kind of down with that. But anything else, it's a hard no. I'm blown away by that, but also agree. I very Thank much you. agree. Yeah, yes. I'm shocked that you're blown away by that. I feel like well, you no, would... I'm blown. I, I'm not blown away by like me thinking it. I'm blown away by you saying it. <laughs> well, it's too much. <laughs> If Ben thinks the crash is done, then he's hardly getting out of bed for a tank, I would imagine. Here's the, I, I think the tank is so much more interesting than the crash. I really do. Okay, fair. If I did have to go for a tank, and by the way, my first watch ever was a tank. Like, no shade on the tank. But if you're picking with 15 grand, like, you've, you've got room to play. But yeah. I actually really like that black dial Louis Cartier, like the yellow yeah. gold one. Yeah. I think that's a really nice kind of different looking thing. But I would say maybe try something a little bit more interesting. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Think? I mean, like to, to me, just quickly, and then we can let Tony answer. Like yeah. with with the tank, like 
I know some very elegant men and women that wear a tank and have been wearing them for 20 years plus. And like, it's just their watch. And it's just like, yeah, like that makes total sense on this person. And yeah. they're not trying hard at all. And if I saw any one of you wearing a tank, I'd be like, okay, like I get that. If yeah. I see somebody wearing a crash in this day and age, if it's not a vintage one, I, I'm just like, this person is is put a lot of thought and effort into getting that watch, you know, and probably a lot of money too. And it's just like, okay, that that just doesn't, that just doesn't feel that right to me anymore. You know? It's lost yeah, its presentura. A tank is uh, kind of just that classic thing, though. Is yeah. it? It's like you can't really hate on like a beige trench coat. <laughs> I mean, frankly, that's exactly it. Yeah. Or a white polo shirt, or just a steel submariner. It's like okay, like fine. It's yeah, a, it's like a sure, it's what it is. Yeah, yeah, sure, exactly. You know, I think this kind of well, what you were saying earlier with Longa Ben, because that was my first thought as well. Uh, and I looked up the Saxonia Thin is twenty three thousand five hundred dollars new. I don't know hmm. what their discounting program is like nowadays at, at the Longa Boutique. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I know we've heard we've heard various complaints about about things that Longa has been doing. Uh, some some right and some not. I'm sure. But this kind of gets to the 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 larger issue with dress watches. Sometimes is. Why buy a new Saxonia Thin when you can get an older one for a, a fraction of the price? And you can look at some genuinely interesting and rarer longas from the 90s, early 2000s even, that are, are cheaper and within a $15,000 budget, might I add, and aren't going to lose money as soon as you drive them off the lot. And I think that that continues to be the challenge for, for modern brands, I think, sometimes when you're looking at their dress watch catalog. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. I mean, it depends what you're we're going for. I mean, I just went onto our own website, and we have a Longa Saxonia for eighteen thousand right now, pre-owned yeah, yeah. uh, in in gold. But I think it just depends on what game you want to play. You know, I I know somebody that that loves Longa and wants to get to a point where he gets the call for the honey gold, blah blah blah. It's like the the Zeitwerks, Lumens, whatever. And the only way you build a relationship is by spending money. And you know, it's just like if you're never going to sell it and you love the watch, kind of who cares. Um, but, you know, everyone's different. People are playing different games all the time, you know. But where are yeah. you getting a dress watch today that's, like, at retail, brand spanking new? Like, where are you going? Jaeger for 15000 Jaeger. Yeah. In a few years, maybe Universal Genève, if you listen to the podcast that <laughs> Tony and I did with Mr. Kern. Um, nice new pole router, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't, I mean... I mean, you can, as you said, Malenka, like there, there are several Cartier tanks available in that range. Um, yeah. It's just, I had a real look today. Like, did you? you? Know, new, yeah, I did. <laughs> I had a real <laughs> Google. <laughs> and I was like, there's just sort of modern, from a like modern watch perspective, it is so tough out there. It is. But I mean, I think Tony's probably alluding to the fact that like you can buy a, a vintage Polar Rooter for nothing, yes. basically, you know? Um, yeah. Or vintage Omega, or even a Patek. Like, there's a lot of watches you can get for 15 and under uh, out there. Vintage for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure we gave any super actionable advice there, but we did have a nice discussion about uh, about dress watches and where where not to spend your money. So I guess that's mm -hmm. something. That's uh, something. Well, listen, thank you guys both so much for for joining another episode of Hodinky Radio. We'll be back again next week. This this time we're going to be doing a, a fantasy watch draft. We're bringing it back, everyone. I know we, we hear it every once in a while that we should bring back fantasy watch drafts. So we'll be bringing it back with another panel of guests next week. Uh, thank you again for listening. And thank you so much to our video editor, Vic Altamanelli, as well for her edits on these. <laughs>